Thank you, Bob, and good morning. Check that weather. Had it shipped up from Texas just <laughs> for the occasion. When I left Dallas, it was fantastically beautiful. You know, when you live in millennial conditions, <laughs> it's hard to appreciate that others are compelled to live and minister in the tribulation. <laughs> so I thought I would give you a little taste of millennial experience. And I hope you drink deeply. I was up here last year for one of those two sunshiny days. <laughs> so you better live it up. It's a real pleasure and a privilege. I assure you I do, do not view it lightly. You need another conference like you need another hole in the head. I sometimes think navigators are the most conferenced people in all of the world. And when we bury them, we bury them with a schedule <laughs> and with a notebook. I said to me, Hendricks, I, I got all of your material in my notebook. He said, I got reams of the stuff. I said, where is it? Home in my bureau drawer. I said, friend, that's a fire hazard. Your insurance company hears about that, they'll hike your rates. So I hope that you don't simply take notes, take them home and stuff them in a bureau drawer or a file where you lose your things systematically. <laughs> but I hope that you will incorporate this truth into your life and into your ministry. Now this morning, we want to launch a series on synthetic Bible study. And I want to begin in a strange place for a group of navigators, but I have a reason, and I trust it will become transparent. Two women were applicants for a teaching position. Job opportunity, teaching first grade. And after a battery of tests and a series of interviews, the superintendent of schools hired a younger woman in preference to an older one. Mind you, this younger woman was a recent graduate of a school of education with limited experience, and he picked her in preference to a woman who had been teaching for 25 years. And this incensed her no end, and she stormed into the superintendent's office and said, the idea, hiring a young thing like this, in preference to a woman of experience. Sir, I want to remind you, I have 25 years teaching experience. 25 years! And the superintendent grew weary of this. He had heard it before, and he said, Lady, not 25 years teaching experience. One year's teaching experience multiplied 25 times. Ladies and gentlemen, this is tragically possible in the spiritual realm. Age is a tremendous advantage, but it is not automatic. Because the years are passing by does not mean you are making corresponding spiritual progress. Experience is essential in Christian life, but it is not the essence of the Christian life. 
The Christian life does not depend upon environment or upon experience. It depends upon relationship. And the opposite of ignorance in the spiritual realm is not knowledge. God is not impressed by how much you know. My friend, how in the world could he be impressed by how much you know and everything you know is the product of what he has revealed? The opposite of ignorance in the spiritual realm is not knowledge, it's obedience. It's responsiveness. To what extent are you responding to what God has revealed? If you are, you're growing up. If you're not, you're merely growing old. Shortly after I became a Christian, someone wrote in the flyleaf of my Bible these words, This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. That's still true. Dusty Bibles always lead to dirty lives. The only option confronting a Christian is this. You are either in the Word, and the Word is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ, or you are in the world, and the world is squeezing you into its mold. I think one of the greatest tragedies in Christian experience is that we have a lot of people who are under the Word, but who are not in it for themselves. As I travel around in conference ministry, I discover people who will drive 800, 1,000, 1,500 miles to get under the Word of God, but they won't walk across their living room floor and pick up a Bible and get into it for themselves. Now, being under the Word is a tremendous privilege. But it is no substitute for getting into the Word for yourself. It should be a stimulus. Often, it is not. Now, this is the most sold book in all of the world, but it is also the most neglected book. Why? I want you to turn to your neighbor for just a moment in a little neighbor nudging. And I want you to write down what are the hang-ups that keep people from getting into the Word for themselves. Why don't people get into this book? Talk.
Somebody else gave me one. Hmm. How do you spell it? <laughs> Busyness. Yeah, man, alive am I ever busy. Why, the average home in America watches television on an average of six hours a day. How in the world can you expect me to get into the work? Especially since there's so much significance. Boy, you'd be amazed how many people cram this down my throat. Maybe there's a deeper reason than that. What else? Fear. Fear. In what sense? Spell that out. I like that. What do you think they're afraid of? What's that? Convicted? All right. They may have to change their lifestyle. That would be drastic. Fear of its power. Fear of its power. Hmm. Huh. It's demand. I said, I don't study that red book. Man alive, I do that. That revolutionized my life. <laughs> and I think he was honest. I'm not sure I'm ready to have it revolutionized. I hope you respect that. I have greater respect for the guy who says to me, frankly, I'm not ready to buy that, than the guy says, that's, that's all right, count on me. <laughs> now he goes up like a rocket, comes down like a rock. Watch the slow starter. But the guy who's ready to go for broke when he finally commits himself. In contrast to the guy who, sure, I'll go, Lord. And then fades in the stretch. Well, we're getting some very interesting, significant ones. What else? Independence? All right, spell that out for us. Oh, beautiful. See, this is not an essential. This is optional. It's a nice thing to do. I had one, but the wheels fell off. We'll come back to that one. That's a beauty. What else? Bad priorities. And by the way, that is very interestingly linked, not only with this one, but with number three. See, how badly do you need it? And the average Christian has never been convinced that the scriptures are a survival feature. You can't make it without them. There's no plan B. See, when that finally grips you, then you start getting into the Word. Otherwise, you play with it. What else? Man, give me some others. All right. You have a look. Got any functional reasons? You know, the person who says to you when you out there on a campus or with that group and really trying to get them turned on, what's he say? That's, that's, that's a real good presentation. I enjoyed it. What's his real problem? He never convinced us. 
All right, that may be. And uh, by the way, this may go back to this here. And certainly it lines up with this, doesn't it? Yes, sir. Ah, uh, cancer. Uh, I can't. It's really a nice idea. But <laughs> See, that's why I come to your navigator group. Because you give me the pearl. And man, I come every week for your pearl. I sit right up in the front row. Take notes. That blows your mind. But you can do it. It's good. Ooh, I love that cream. But you ever see what I come up with? Don't look at it. Oh. <laughs> How about this one? It's irrelevant. It doesn't work. Modern society especially. Took a survey some time ago. A kid said, I am convinced that the scripture had something to say to another generation, I am equally convinced it has nothing to say to ours. And you know who's the greatest promoter of that? Evangelical Christians. Who convince people that it really has nothing to say to our generation. I was invited by the medical school in our area to come and give them an address on the Bible and the new morality. They assigned the subject, an hour and a half. When I got through, they fired away at questions for another couple hours. Afterwards, we broke up into discussion groups. After I got through, a resident came up. He said, my friend, I am not a believer. But I just want you to know, this is the first time I ever heard anybody say anything that the Scripture had to say about the subject. And our position is going by default because some of us are stuttering when we should be speaking and shouting. And so the average person comes away from the Word of God saying, well, it's a nice set of ideas. But, you know, it never grabs me where I live. That's an abortion you perform upon the Scripture. That's not inherent in the Word of God. Well, that's a... Oh, yes, I better add this one. It's boring. And every time you get up, they seriously suspect you're going to complicate the problem. <laughs> Disappoint them, will you? See, the average person comes to the Word of God believing this is incredibly dull. Now, don't support that. Well, I heard a guy in our area who got into an Amp Bible study, got so turned on, the guy says, man, I was so excited, I'd run home and get my Bible out and read that thing to see if what he was saying was really that interesting. Boy, that's a refreshing change of faith. Now, I want to take this and I want to give you some reasons as to why 
we need to study the Word. Now, I have a conviction, and that is the navigators are frequently long on the how. I think myself, don't publish this abroad, and don't let it go to your head, I happen to believe they are one of the most significant organizations in this generation on showing people how. But they tend to be long on the how and short on the why. And the question why must always be answered before the question how. This may provide a clue to you as why so many of your people are bailing out in the process of Bible study. Did you ever get somebody turned on initially and man, they get so excited and they go into the thing, you know, and four weeks later we're still looking for them. Send out an archaeological expedition to find them. And you constantly back off and you say, why? How come? What's happening? Well, in my judgment, this may be one of the reasons. Let me give you my own experience. I came to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior a number of years ago. Guy came up to me and said, Now, Hendricks, the first thing you've got to do is get into the Word. I said, Great. Where do I start? Anywhere. It's all profitable. <laughs> so, I opened the Bible, and the first place I landed was in Ezekiel. Right in the middle of the wheel. So, well, you know, maybe this is an exception. So I whipped over to the other end of the Bible, and I landed in Revelation, right in the bowls and the vials and the wrath. And I was convinced that what they had taught me in the Roman church was true, and that is that you need a professional milkman to dispense this stuff. And I'm ashamed to tell you this, but it was a solid year in which that book was absolutely close in my Christian experience. And this was before the days of the navigators, but a guy who certainly had the mentality of a good nav came to me one day and he said, Hey, Hendricks, are you in the Word? I said, No, as a matter of fact, I'm not. He said, How come? He said, frankly, I don't know where to begin. I don't know how. He said, good, I'll show you how. And he rendered a tremendous service. But he missed it at one point. It took me almost 10 years to find it out. He never told me why. He never convinced me from this book that it is absolutely essential. It's a survival factor. There's no other way to go. That's why it wasn't high enough on my priority list. And I was like the average Christian, you know, in and out, up and down, hot and cold. Now you see me, now you don't. You know, now I'm on the team. Now I'm on the opposition. <laughs> hopelessly frustrating. So, I want to strengthen your hand today 
I have a twofold objective. Two objectives in this series. First of all, I want this series to be designed for you to help yourself, to improve your intake of the Word. That's my first and foremost concern. And not primarily concern about the people to whom you minister. And concern about you, initially. However, if we can change you, we'll change the people to whom you minister. But my second objective is to reinforce your hand, to add some fuel to your fire, and to enable you to help somebody else. And I've been down this road a long time. And, you know, after you know Christ for a number of years, you get an education. And I've discovered that there is no other way to fly. This is why whenever I start a series on Bible study at any level, the first thing I do is expose people to the Word of God in terms of why. I want to take you to four passages of Scripture. Some of them are very familiar to you. We'll try to give you some ammunition. Four passages which conspire, in my judgment, to build a convincing case. Why study the Bible? The first of these is 1 Peter chapter 1. Sorry, chapter 2. And verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. This is what I call a peephole text. When I was a kid living in the city of Philadelphia, we used to go watch the A's and the Phillies play ball. And we'd walk all the way around the park looking for a peephole which we either discovered or made. <laughs> it was the smallest hole, but through it you could see the entire game. Now, this is one of those passages. As newborn babes develop an appetite for the spiritual milk of the Word in order that you may grow thereby. Now, I want you to know three things from this passage of Scripture. First of all, your attitude toward the Word. The attitude of a newborn babe. Just as the baby grabs for the bottle, you grab for the buck. Is that your attitude? Or have you been a navigator too long? You ever go out on a campus? You ever go out with one of your groups and see people so excited about the Word of God and come back to your room and get clubbed all over the lot by realizing how dead in the head you are toward it? Man, this guy just took it on, man. You're coming up. When we're telling about the kids down at Wheaton, this is my alma mater, so I can speak about it. You know, we're all sitting around. Yeah, here we are. God's gift to this generation. Waiting for somebody to ask them the right question. I often ask myself, how in the world does this kid get turned off? And if you expose that type of person to some kid who just came to faith, you know, on a university campus where it's hell wall to wall, 
Then a guy really gets turned on, man, for Christ, you know, and he gets next to one of these kids, you know, this guy wonders, what in the world is the name of the game? <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> in fact, it's, it's really interesting to watch my students because we get kids come to know Christ in our area in university, and they get next to some seminary students who are also dead in the head. Until finally the guy says to the seminary student, uh, How come you're not excited? <laughs> Ooh, that's lovely. <laughs> and this guy's already embalmed. <laughs> so you're going to tell him about what the Greek says in this. As newborn babe. Now, I never knew what this meant. Until about 25 years ago, when my oldest daughter was born, she weighed in 4 pounds 10 ounces, which in those days was a rather light weight. So the pediatrician said to me, look, Howie, we're going to have to keep her here in the hospital for a couple weeks till she grows up. <laughs> and, you know, I watched through those plate glass windows, watched these nurses jostle these kids up and down trying to get some kind of response, but not mine. Pediatrician assured me for all practical purposes, untouched by human hands. So I said to my wife, sweetheart, I really think this is a blessing in disguise. Well, I'll never forget the day we brought her home. We were living in the backside of the campus in a trailer. And uh, before we retired that night, I said to my wife, now, sweetheart, uh, she may wake up during the course of the night, but if she does, you know, ignore her. Well, this is when my liberal arts education began. <laughs> because at some unearthly hour, you know, in the world would know what time it is, this kid's got inside information, it's time to eat. <laughs> and she cuts loose with all of the powers at her disposal. And you know the process, you stagger out of bed in the darkness, and you go to the refrigerator and get the bottle out, and you put it in the warming receptacle, hope you don't fall asleep as I did one night, burn the sad thing out. <laughs> Heat it to the proper temperature, you know, and test it on your arm so you won't scald the kid's tonsils. <laughs> you look around in the darkness for this shrieking form and finally you find it and you plug it in. <laughs> and all you hear is... <laughs> I say that's when I got my liberal arts education because every three to four hours that alarm clock went off and you didn't ignore it. And Peter picks up that expressive figure and says, just as that baby pick his brains. They just suck him like a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so when you get around somebody who knows more than you, don't talk, ask questions. Develop your appetite. When I first went to Texas, I went to preach in West Texas. You've all heard of nowhere? Well, they assigned me to a place 15 miles beyond nowhere. <laughs> and I arrived to preach, and the teeming crowds were gathering, all 17 of them. I think it was rally day. And I preached with all of the fervor and the passion of my heart. There was a tall Texan sitting right up in the front, had his legs crossed, his boots on it. He kept swinging them like this. I kept my eye on them because I wasn't sure what they would do if they got loose. 
And when I got through, he said, that's pretty good preaching, son. Now, I'm the man that feeds the preachers here, so you come home to me. So I went home with him. And he placed a bowl in front of me. And I had a tremendous problem because I looked down to see something I had never seen before in my life. And I had a problem. I wasn't sure whether it was to be eaten or had been. Because <laughs> I looked down into a bowl of black-eyed peas. Did you ever look at one of those things? And I made one serious mistake. I ate them too fast. And a guy thought I liked them. <laughs> so he poured them on until I thought those things had come out my ears. I never want to look one of those things in the eye again. But you know, if you'd like me to come over to your apartment, your home sometime, and you promise to serve me black-eyed peas, I'll show up. Because miracle of miracles, I have developed a tremendous appetite for black-eyed peas. You know how? Eating black-eyed peas. <laughs> That's the kind of appetite you need. Develop it. Cultivate it. It isn't going to come like that. And it's not going to come easy. See, some of you got into some basics, and man, I was like Greece. But I'm going to hit you with some stuff this week, friend. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to stretch it to its breaking point. I'm going to introduce you to one of the hardest methods of Bible studies on the board. But if you ever get it under your belt, so help me, you will rise up and call me blessed in every succeeding generation. <laughs> because it will make that much of a contribution to your life. But it's rough. No little quick and easy method. You know, well, what do we do without any work? Just sit down and, you know, wake up someday spiritual. Never wanted to be. Just couldn't help it. <laughs> Third thing, this is what I want you to see, is the aim of the Word of God. It's the attitude of a newborn babe. It's the appetite that must be cultivated. The aim, in order that you may what? Grow, not know. Well, you say, can you grow without knowing? Uh-uh, no way. But it's possible to know and not to grow. And that's what he's talking about. You see, the aim of the Word of God is not in order to fill your heads with biblical information so that you develop a severe case of spiritual pride. The Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity. It was written to transform your experience. And this is the sober thing. And I love to back a guy right into a corner on this, and I won't let him get away. There is no other means of growth apart from the Word of God. Now, if you ever really come to buy that, then you can't stay out of it. Because it's a survival feature. 
But if you think that you can grow by getting out on a firing line and servicing all of the people that you have to minister to, then you're in for the most severe casualty ahead you have ever seen. You are going to wipe out. And furthermore, you're going to wipe your disciples out. You think I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to myself. I just came off the most fantastic week. I just took off out of town. My wife, two of my kids, we went down to East Texas. Man, what a time we had. What a time. See, I spent all of my time ministering to others. What a built-in dodge. I, mean, I need the Word of God. Man, I already know five times what most of them know. But see, God isn't determining my ministry on how much I know. And so what I have to do is to discover that I've been telling everybody, look, man, if you don't get into the Word, you're going to tube out, and I'm tubing out. <laughs> telling them. Get in the Word! And all the time says, right, Hendrix, when's the last time you've been with me? It's a good question, Lord. I'm serving you, though. I'm just busy. We'll be back at that. Get into the Word, folks. I had a student who just grossed out tragically in his home life. You know how? He got so infected in my course on the home that the guy went out spending all of his time telling people how to live in a godly home and wiped his own out and roof. Now, ask yourself, how subtle can you get? See, that's the product of the enemy. And if he can just keep you out of the Word, just keep you, you know, going, 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 then you won't be growing. All right, the next passage. Back a few pages. Book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Of whom we have many things to say and hard of interpretation. Now, notice the reason. Seeing you are become dull of hearing. The difficulty is not in the revelation. The difficulty is in the reception. You've got people with severe hearing loss. For when by reason of the virtue, uh, for when by reason of the time, and by the way, will you underline that in your Bible? It's key to the interpretation of this paragraph. When by virtue of the passing of time you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you the rudiments, the ABCs of the first principles of the articles of God. In other words, when you should be communicating to others, you need to have someone communicate to you. When you should be going on to the graduate school, you've got to return to the kindergarten and learn your ABCs all over again. In fact, he says, you are become such as have need of milk and not of solid food. Your fare is limited to pablum. You can't enjoy a good porterhouse steak. 
And he explains this. For everyone that partaketh of milk is without experience in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, we use this term quite commonly, I think erroneously, from a biblical point of view. We talk about a new convert as a babe in Christ. I am not convinced that the Bible ever uses this word in that way. So this man was saved last week. Well, he's a babe in Christ. But these people were not just saved last week. That's why I ask you to underline the word time. They were not recent converts. From the author's point of view, sufficient time had elapsed for them to be communicators of the word. But they were still in protracted infancy. The term babe in the New Testament does not refer to one's recency of conversion. It refers to one's receptivity of the word. That's the reason they have problems with this interpretation that he speaks of in verse 11. Now, I've often wondered, wouldn't it be interesting if we dress people in the church according to their spirituality? You know, here's brother so-and-so saved low these many years, still running around in his rompers, still cooing, still waving his rattle, still looking at his fingers. I served in a church a number of years ago. We had an elder in that church. Bless his heart. Every time I remember him, I, I am greatly instructed. This boy had one verse of scripture. He'd never heard of the NAV memory pack. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, you know, we'd have testimony time, and while well, this guy was unfurling, you know, 37 years ago, the Lord saved me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want to sit down. You know, while he's unfurling, some little kid would get up and say, Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I'd see old dad sit back down in the pew, you know, as if to say, good night, there goes my verse. And I used to think, man, you know, you'd think he'd learn a second verse just in case he got caught in this kind of an eventuality. But here was a man who was an elder in the church. Growing old, but not growing up. Now look at the last part, because this is key. But solid food, verse 14, is for full-grown men. What are full-grown men? Here's the explanation. Even those who by reason of use had their senses exercised to discern good and evil. A mature man is not a man who understands the Scripture. He is a man who uses it. He has the ability to take the truth of the Word of God and relate it to the experience of his life. So that the second reason for studying the Word of God 
is that the Word of God alone will develop spiritual maturity. It's a beautiful thing to see as it's developing. I see a young person or I see an adult come to know Jesus Christ, the Savior, and get into the Word, and the Word gets into his life, and he begins to use it, and man, he takes giant steps. He makes me wonder if I know what the name of the game is. I got a guy right now in the city of Dallas that just came to know Christ about six months ago. And honestly, I, I have seldom seen a person grow. This guy's stretching my faith to its breaking point. You know, he comes in and unloads his stuff on me, and, you know, I, I can give 27 reasons why, you know, that's not really the way to go. But he's never heard of one of them. And, man, he is so turned on. He is quite convinced we're going to take Dallas for Christ. You know, he just hasn't gotten the message of the mature Christians. So, you know, until he catches up, we'll probably take Dallas. <laughs> A third passage. Second Timothy, chapter 2, and verse 15. Let's begin at verse 14. But abide thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And remember... Timothy was a third-generation Christian. So don't let anybody cram down your throat. What I heard a man say recently who ought to know better, and that is get up in a public audience and say, you know, I think I'm tired of these kids who come from Christian homes. I'd rather see somebody who, uh, you know, never saw the inside of a Christian home, went out on a pagan university campus and came to know Christ. And afterwards, in discussion, I said, that's a lovely idea, my friend. You've got only one problem, and that is it's not biblical. Timothy was a third-generation Christian. And when Paul wants to sort out the man of the unique stripe, he lands on Timothy and says, I have no man like-minded. Think of that. The Apostle Paul, with all of his circle of friends, I have nobody in Timothy's lake who will naturally care for your estate because everybody else is primarily interested in number one. But Timothy is of a different stripe. That's pretty virile. See, it doesn't have to be that way. And Paul wants to remind him of the source and that from a babe thou hast known the sacred writings which are able to make thee wise in the salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. That's the word of God in its obstetrical purpose, giving birth to souls. Now, the Word of God also has a pediatric purpose. That's in verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable. That includes Second Chronicles. You been in there lately? Habakkuk. Uh-huh. Man, if two pages of your Bible stick together, you're liable to miss that one. That's a tremendous passage. It's profitable for four things. And please note these. First, for teaching. That is, for structuring your thinking. 
And that's why I say what you really need is to be brainwashed by the Word of God. And I'll give you something that'll keep you going for a few months. Ask yourself, how much of your culture have you bought that is contrary to the Scripture? Without even thinking about it. See, when Paul said, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold, he had a very searching word for our generation. And I find that the average person in our generation has bought much more of his culture than he's even aware of. And that culture is diametrically opposed to Jesus Christ. So why do you want to be like them? They're going to hell. Is that where you're going? When the whole tenor of the Scripture is to be different, distinctively different, not superficially different, as we've been teaching for years, you know, they go to movies, you don't. All this kind of jazz. No, they live for themselves. What do you live for? the same thing, then you give the lie to what you're teaching. Secondly, for free proof, that is to show you where you're wrong, you're out of line. Third, for correction, that is to bring you back in to conformity to the truth of God. And fourth, for instruction which is in righteousness. Now, this is a different word. The first word means to structure your thinking. The second concept means to structure your living. So that your life pattern corresponds with righteousness, holiness. Now, notice the purpose again. In order that the man of God may be complete, may be mature, furnished completely unto every good work. It's the Word of God that alone will equip you. Last passage of Scripture I want to share with you is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Give diligence, that is, put everything you've got into it. To present yourself approved unto God a workman that does not need to be ashamed, handling aright, properly, the word of truth. The word of God is the only means of becoming an unashamed workman. of preventing you from becoming a shoddy producer. This will make you a craftsman. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that the foundation has been laid, but be careful how you build on that foundation. You can build with two kinds of material, permanent or perishable material. And young people, may I say to you very forthrightly and very directly, you know, when you get down the line, you begin to look back on your life and you discover there's an awful lot that's wood, hay, and stubble. The man you poured yourself into like crazy. And young people come to me all the time and say, Pratt, 
you know, how in the world can I keep from that? I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spin my wheels and waste my life. My friend, there's only one way, and that's right here. That'll keep you. And every time I've gotten off the track, it's because I've gotten out of the book. And it's the Word of God that says, Hendricks, you're off on secondary targets. And it brings me back. It's a corrective. You see, you don't have to do anything to move in the direction of an extreme. Just keep going the way you are, you'll land there. See, it's only the Word of God that will give you balance. How in the world do you live in the midst of this kind of a society and generation and maintain balance? Keep going off that tangent, off that extreme. It's only one way I know. And that's the Word of God. Now we're going to see how to study that. Because if there is any book in the Old or New Testament to which, to which you do not have personal access, then you are a spiritually handicapped individual. So that if I ask you right now, you know what the message of Ecclesiastes is? Say, spell it. Say, no, I, Fred, I don't even know that there is such a book. Let's see, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, yeah, that one. Then you will discover why it is that you are hung up with an existential society which you have bought, because that's the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. He's a guy who lived it up to the full in every area and said, no go. So what we want to do is to find out how to go into every one of those books and make them your personal property. And imagine, we only have a week to do it. So we'll get started, and then you can carry it on the rest of your life. Okay? Okay? Yeah. Are you dead already? <laughs> well, you need some coffee to wake you up. Whoever planned this program did a masterful job putting coffee after Hendrix.